each, each and every week when I prepare messages, I, I always do my best to, to make sure that it's grounded in Scripture. And then also I, I ask that dangerous question, God, what do you want to say today? And I had one of these moments this week more than usual where I felt like I was supposed to look at a very specific text. And when I turned to that very specific text and I started digging into it, I felt as I was looking at it, we were supposed to look at the whole chapter now, those of you who don't know me, I don't say those things flippantly. I think you can really abu- be, be borderline abusive spiritually if you throw around terms like that. But I really believe that we have a word today, and it's all of Matthew 25, which means we have 35 minutes to cover 46 verses. So we are going to move fast today. I would encourage you to take out your notes and, uh, and dig in, and, and you'll have a chance to assess by the end of this message if you feel like this was from the Lord. But let's start here. This will frame things out for those who weren't here. We'll get a little bit of a running start at this. And let's start here. God-honoring growth occurs as more people become more like Jesus. God-honoring growth occurs when more people become more like Jesus. Today is the final installment of a series that we've done on growth. This is part six of six. And for the first five weeks, what we focused on is the more like Jesus part, which is what we should focus on for five of the six weeks. But we've got to also address this other part. What happens when there's more people? More like Jesus, that's foundational. But what do we do with the more people part? Jesus of Nazareth never intended personal growth and numerical growth to be in opposition to one another. Isn't that true? You don't have to look any further than what's called the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we find this progression happening that they thought was noteworthy. That in the early church, you had 120 that were gathered. Then it goes on to say, okay, now there are 3,000 who were baptized. And then it said many who heard the word were believed, and the number grew to 5,000. And then later on, it says more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, men and women. Now in those days, the disciples were increasing in number. So you see this progression happening as God was legitimately moving in the midst of of those folks. Now, we haven't baptized 3,000 yet. But our trend line is moving like this. This is one of the figures we'll have today at at the annual meeting. This is our, our trend line. And so God is adding to our numbers. Now, again, for the record, numbers for numbers' sake is not a God honoring pursuit. But isn't more people experiencing more of God? Isn't that a good thing? I think it's a very, very, very good thing. And that's what we're talking about today. So in this final week of our series on growth, after we've invested the first five weeks talking about how do we become more like Jesus, what does that growth look like, and how do we do that, we're going to spend at least one week here talking about what happens as we begin to outgrow this space. Has anyone ever wondered that? Because sometimes it keeps me up at night a little bit. What do we do? What comes next? What comes next for us? And this is a real thing. Um, This is a someday thing. In fact, you could argue that we've already passed that point, especially if you were here on Christmas Eve. How many were here for Christmas? On Christmas Eve Eve, right? Okay, were you here for the first service? The first service, um, we we maxed this room out, and we had people out there um, watching on TV screens. And I'm not okay with that, because our invitation is experience God with us. And it is a very, very different experience sitting around a TV screen on Christmas Eve instead of in with the rest of your brothers and sisters, you know? So, so what, do, what do we do? And it's not just a Christmas Eve thing, because just on a random uh, February Sunday, just a couple weeks ago, we had within 70 people of what we had on Christmas Eve. 
So we are growing. And it's not just in here. It's not just in this room. I, I'd stop by to talk to the kids team um, between services. I said, Melissa, how'd it go? And she had big eyes. And she goes, we had a lot of kids. She had a lot of kids, like 75 kids or something just at the first service. So praise God. Praise God. And there are some Sundays where we have maxed out individual classrooms depending on the, the, the number of kids that come, which service. And then it isn't just our kids here on Sunday, us here on Sunday. Um, Wednesday night, we have been so blessed to have this amazing facility available to us, Gospel Hill Camp, where our teens meet. And not only were they starting to outgrow this, but it's not available to us next fall. So we've got some questions that we need to wrestle with when it comes to facility when it comes to space. Now, I want to make sure, though, that we're asking the right questions when it comes to that. Because the question we're not asking is, how do we find a bigger room? I'm going to give you an analogy that may be my worst analogy since the epic Muppet movie fail of 2011. But I'm going to give it a shot. All right, we'll see if this analogy is any good. I'll let you be the judge of that. So right here on this table, if you walked in through this door, you'll notice there's a whole bunch of shoes. And If this was us in 2007, the baby shoes, the rest of these shoes and more are us today. And one of the reasons I brought different types of shoes is that we're not just bigger, we're different. You know, our DNA is the same, but we are able now, as we've matured, we can do things now that we never could do before. And just as an adult grows, they don't just grow bigger, you're able to specialize. So I've got snow boots up here, I've got running shoes, I've got sandals, I've got dress shoes, I've got the boots that I wear when we go to farm nights at the, at the Lochners, you know. Now, could you wear these sandals when you're shoveling manure on farm nights? You, you could, right? But wouldn't it be better to have boots? And if you go to the beach, wouldn't it be better to have sandals than boots? And if you're running a race, you don't want to run a race in snow boots, right? But for shoveling snow, the boots are better than the running shoes. Do you see how this works? And so again, this might, judging by your faces, this is, again, a horrible analogy. So let's just leave it behind. <laughs> and let's just get into the, the thing. But you know, I was trying to make the point, anyway, that, that qualitatively, let's not just look for bigger, right? Let's try to look for right. Let's try to look for facilities that facilitate. I'll get to that in just a second, but I want to point out a connection card that came in. One of our teenagers did this, and we'll put it up on the screen so you can see it. Um, when we started this series, one of our teenagers, Evan, I asked if I could use this example. Evan Eiberg, he, he sent in this connection card, and I love it. He put the icon that we've been using to talk about big church, and he put a question mark, is that church? And then he put people, and he put a question mark, is that church? And then he brought them together. The church is the people. But if you want to be so kind as to write in your notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. Church facilities, what they do is they facilitate. At least they should. God honoring growth. Isn't that true? Facilities should facilitate. It shouldn't be either or. I mean, the church is the people. Is Evan here now? Evan, this rock. This was an awesome illustration. Um, they, they should be working together. Facilities should facilitate God honoring growth. And I use facilities instead of facility because there's some facilities that work far better than others for different type of ministry. Homes work so perfectly for certain types of ministry. Isn't that true? Much better than a public space. Homes are amazing. This community center can facilitate certain types of ministry. We have people that are members of our church who came here for a workout one day. Isn't that great? So community centers are awesome. Camps. Camps are great for facilitating certain types of ministry. 
gyms and soccer fields are great at facilitating certain kinds of ministry. And ask any bride, would you want to have your wedding in a gym? Right? Beautiful chapels are facilitate certain types of ministry really, really well. So there's a place to write this in your notes. This is, this is our mindset here as we, we go into trying to answer this question. And by we, I don't mean some kind of a small group of people. I mean, we, as we go into trying to wrestle with this question, one of our primary challenges in 2017 and beyond is going to be to prayerfully discern the types, plural, of facilities that will best facilitate the kind of growth that God desires for our church. And it could be, it very well could be, that the equation includes this facility that we're in now and. It will certainly include homes. And it's very possible that God might surprise us with something that none of us saw coming. Well, there's a whole lot that needs to happen as part of this discernment process, but it all starts with what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to this passage, Matthew chapter 25. And I want to tell you quickly the story of how we landed here. So, Each and every week, as I mentioned earlier, I try to pray and say, God, where do you want us to start? What do you want to say? And and as best I could discern, I I felt like I had this impression that I should look at what's called the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents. It's this great parable that Jesus told as opposed to the non-great. No, (laughs) he told all kinds of great parables. This parable about being a faithful steward. Someone's entrusted with something and being faithful with that. And I thought, that's good. Yeah, we want to be faithful what we already have. So I turned to Matthew chapter 25. Oh, I also want to let you know, too, if you don't have a, a Bible today, I'd love to make sure that you go home with one. We've got a, a stack of them there. They're there for you for, to take home for free. So please take them. Don't take my shoes, but you can take the, um, the, the Bible. Okay, so, um, so I'm turning there, and I do most of my Bible study um, with a translation that's called the ESV because it's more literal. And here's what it says in one of the more literal translations as I turned to Matthew 25. It said this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to them his what? Property. I thought that's interesting. His property. And it was great because then that triggered right away this thought of, okay, this meeting space that we're in right now, whose property is this? Ultimately, it's God's. Chippewa Middle School. God opened the doors to us there. Whose property is that ultimately? Our homes. God God can open or close the door to any property he wants. So we want to be faithfully following him. It's all his property. We want to be faithful stewards. Well, what was interesting, before I started really digging in to this section that I felt led to, I felt like I was supposed to zoom out and say, where, what's around this parable? What's around this parable? And then it really started to get fun. Because I, I said, well, let me start at the start of this chapter. Chapter 25, Matthew 25, verse 1. What does that say? So I start reading it. And it says this, Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, if you, were here last, if you weren't here last week, you'd be going, that has nothing to do with anything. And this would be a very awkward devotional with my kids at night, right? But if you were here last week, this is where we landed and not by design. So my antenna are up saying, God, maybe this really is a word that you have for us, that you're bringing together for us as we transition from this idea of how do we grow in your likeness to what do we do as we're growing as a church? I really think there's, this is for us. So here we go. Matthew 25, starting with verse one. 
Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went on to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now, if you're not sure what's going on, all the bridegrooms and all this kind of stuff and lamps, you're not alone. In the six commentaries that I, I looked from, looked at this week um, to find out more about Jewish wedding rituals, four of the six didn't agree on the details. They, one said it was like this, one said it was like this, one said it was like this one. And the other two were just honest and they said, we really don't know. We really don't know about Jewish weddings in the first century. I love that. But the wedding is just the backdrop. It really doesn't matter. Jesus' point is, comes through whether or not you understand the specifics of Jewish wedding rituals. Again, that's just a backdrop. The chapter leading up to chapter 25 is about preparing for the return of Jesus Christ. And the point here is be ready. Be ready. That is the point. Now, I think there's a message here for us because when Jesus is making that point, he does what he so often does. He gets common ground. He finds the common ground. He gets all the heads nodding in the same direction. Then he lowers the boom. So the common ground he's using here, he just says everyone knows what wisdom looks like and everyone knows what foolishness looks like. And that's the, the big kind of theme he's working with here as he's, he's making this point. He gives an example of foolish people who are not planning ahead and wise people who are planning ahead because everyone knows it is wise to prepare. It's wise to think ahead. It's wise to give yourself margin for unforeseen events. That's what wise people do. And here's why wise people do that. You see as you continue on with this parable that Jesus told. Picking up with verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose. They trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Ah! That didn't make it in my ESV, but ah, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there's not going to be enough for us and you go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. The Bible is big on personal responsibility, isn't it? Look at it. I mean, biblical principles and best practices go hand in hand. If it's really a best practice, it's a biblical principle. And those of you who, you know, we've, as we go through life, isn't it true that best practices, when you're in a situation with a foolish person, best practices, the only way they learn is through natural consequences. It's hard for us to do that because we always want to bail people out, right? But the only chance for a foolish person to learn is through natural consequences. And that's what we see here. In fact, Jesus provides this important lesson right next. He says this, picking up with verse 10. And while they were going to buy the foolish, the bridegroom came and those who were ready, they went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came back from the mall saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you do not know neither the day nor the hour. Now, for the record, you always have to be careful when you're coming, taking things out of context. This passage is not about property. But I believe there's a message here for us in the season of preparation that we're in now that we can go right to that basic common sense backdrop about wisdom and foolishness that Jesus says, everybody knows this. That's why I'm using this as a jumping off point. 
Here are two principles that apply from us to us, I believe, from this section. And there's a place to write this in your notes. We should be watchful and what? Wise. We should be watchful and wise. I believe that right now in this season, as we know that we're growing like this, we should be wise. We should have our watchful. We should have our eyes open, especially for unconventional solutions. And as we're waiting for God to make our next step clear, we should be saving as much as we can. Interestingly enough, even though this passage we looked right here isn't about financial stewardship, the next one is. The very next passage. That brings us to 14. Here we go. Here's where I originally thought we should be digging into. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. Each according to his ability. Then he went away. All right, now there's all kinds of layers to this, including historical context layers, including the layer that Jesus himself was about to go away. This happens in Matthew 25. In Matthew 26, Jesus is arrested. And then after that, he's led off to be crucified and killed. He was about to go away. And in one of his last teachings with his disciples, this is among his last teachings about a person who went away and entrusted these people to steward things well. Let's not lose that. So that was, a, that was a historical context piece of this, right for them. But again, I believe there's a lesson for us today. Now, in English, there's a couple different meanings for the word talent. But in the original Greek, which was, this was originally written in, there's just one meaning for talent. Just one meaning for that word. In Greek, a talent was a monetary term signifying a specific weight of precious metal. And it was comical to watch all of my sources try to translate that into modern dollar amounts because it's really, really hard. Everyone agrees that a talent was a lot of money. All my sources agreed. This is a lot of money. On the short end, they said it would have taken a person back then 15 years to earn this much money if they were an average laborer. They said on the higher end, it would take you 20 years to earn that much money if you were a, a laborer. When they tried to translate in today's dollars, the range said, the bottom range that I saw was about $200,000. They said one talent is about $200,000. On the higher end, someone else said, it's about $600,000. So it's a lot of money, right? A talent, one talent is a lot of money. Let's keep reading. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. How do you want to find that guy? I want to find, I want to find that guy. So also, he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have two talents more. And the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
All right, I want to make three quick but very important points here regarding these first two servants. Observation number one. How many of you would love to hear, well done? You know, at the end of a, at, at the end of a, a test within a day, to just making the hard decision and, and to hear, well done. At the end of a full day, you know, to just hear, well done. At the end of a week, a month, a year, and certainly at the end of our life, to hear, well done. Corporately as a church, let's not aim for nice building. Let's shoot for well done. How's that sound? Are you with me on that? Let's shoot for well done. Well done. Okay, observation number two. The master said to the faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. This one really jumped out at me too because how many of you know congregations where they had some sort of building campaign or some sort of facility change and it was not joy that they entered into. They entered into stress. They entered into fighting. They entered into all kinds of things that weren't joy. How about we aim for joy? Does that sound good? We'll be stretched, whatever we do. We're going to be stretched. But you can be stretched and have joy, right? Let's aim for joy. And then observation number three. Did you notice that the master said to the five-talent servant, you've been faithful over a little. It never hit me before until I was reading my resource, and they're like, hey, um, did you notice this? A little? Five talents. Five talents is between a million dollars and three million dollars. That doesn't seem like little to me. Doesn't seem like little to me. But to the master, that was little. And then I thought about what God has trusted us with. For the last several years, he's trusted us to steward Gospel Hill Camp on Wednesday nights. That amazing facility. And that's little. And for a longer period of time, he's entrusted us to steward this space on Sunday mornings. That's little? Who wants to see a lot? <laughs> like in the good way. Like, God, you did this. What's it, what, what would be a lot if this is a little? Let's keep reading. Here's what he says to the third servant. Picking up with verse 24. He also, who had received one talent, came forward, saying, Master, okay, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you go. Have what is yours. Now, there's layers to this too. One of my sources reminded me that the children of Israel had been called by God to shine like a light for the world. And we certainly see this early in Matthew. Go and shine like a city on a hill, like a lamp on a stand. But in a very real sense, they had buried their light in the ground. And it would be very interesting from a property standpoint to contrast what we're reading right now with the chapter that comes before it. Because chapter 24 opens up with Jesus walking around and here's this amazing building. And Jesus says, you see this? There's going to come a day. There's not even going to be one stone left on top of the other on this thing. So that's a whole nother layer that we could look at, that historical layer. But I think there's a message here for every individual and certainly for us as a church. One of my sources put it like this. This is from one of my um, commentaries. They said, there is again a division between good and bad, success and failure. Yet the failure of the bad slave consists not in any loss of money, 
but in returning it without what? Without increase. It was not that he did something wrong. He simply did what? Nothing. This is then apparently a parable about maximizing opportunities and not wasting them. And there is certainly a cautionary tale because look where Jesus takes this. Back to the text, verse 26. His master answered this one servant who, who didn't have the return on investment, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a cautionary tale here for those of us, individuals and churches, who don't make the most of the resources that God has entrusted us with. That's why my next set of principles, if you haven't already filled this in, here it is, from this section of scripture, we should be faithful and we should be fruitful right now. This is not, oh, if you give us this, Lord, we will. This is a right here, right now, with what we've been trusted with us. Trusted. Let's be as faithful as we possibly can be. Let's be as fruitful in all the right ways as we possibly can be. We want to be exceptional stewards of that which God has already entrusted us with as individuals and as a church. Before we move on to this section, though, I don't want you to miss a very subtle nod to God's amazing grace. Because you read something like this and you can make it, it can almost look like, wow, God is so harsh. And a lot of condemnation can start to come over you because you can be like, this is my every day falling short. Every day I don't make the most of every opportunity that God's given me. And you can start to feel the weight of that because the consequence, we just read it. The consequence for an unworthy servant is to be cast out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and that's what we deserve. But there is a nod to grace in this, isn't there? There's a nod to grace because the faithful servant, Jesus Christ, was cast out of the city gates on our behalf. And he carried a Roman cross. And as he died, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Weeping, gnashing of teeth. Darkness covered the land. Isn't the scripture rich? So even in this strong word for us, we see the amazing grace that Jesus made a way so that those who do fall short, there's a way we can experience forgiveness in the kingdom of God. The scriptures are amazing. God is amazing. Okay, one final section to this chapter. And I think this has the greatest relevance of all of them when it comes to facility, even though it's not talking about facility directly. But I think this is for us. Chapter 25, starting with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in glory, 
and all the angels with him. Then will he sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king shall say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you in sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, all of the sources I looked with really were hung up on that word brothers. Rightfully so. They're like, okay, if, if this is about the brothers, who are the brothers? And all of the sources that took a stand on this said, in this context, the brothers refers to followers of Jesus who are in need. In this context. That's what's being talked about here. Now, throughout the scriptures, throughout the Bible, are there all kinds of passages that say we are to care for the needs of everyone around us as best we can? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, in this particular passage, the last of chapter 25, the last chapter before we start to get into the arrest of Jesus, one of the last teachings of Jesus was care for your brothers and sisters who are in need. Care for them, you guys. Care for them. If you do it to them, you do it to me. If you don't do it to them, you're not doing it unto me. If we miss this, we have no business meeting anywhere, right? We have no business meeting anywhere. If we are not caring for one another who are in need, here and around the world, if we are not committed to that, we shouldn't be meeting anywhere. We should just get on our knees wherever we are and say, God, help me to get my heart right and mind right with you. Look what he says to those on his left, picking up at verse 41. Then he says to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they said, what? Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And once again, in this passage, somebody is being condemned based on what they didn't do what they didn't do. And in this case, what they didn't do was demonstrate a commitment to compassion. And there's a place to write this in your notes. Next step principles, we should be compassionate and committed. And I put both of those together because a lot of times, boy, in our culture, we often confuse awareness with actual action. And there's so many people, you hear me talk about this a lot, there are so many people who feel good because they feel bad. Go do something, right? Do something. Committed to compassion. Christian maturity now as we put all these together. As we put all these together. 
Christian maturity requires both discipline and discernment. Do you see why maturity is tough? Because the first parable we read, that's for us. To have the equivalent of oil in our lamps. To save. That, that, that is wisdom. And, and we're to care for the needs of our brothers and sisters. These are not incompatible. It's a both and. So we requires discipline and discernment. As we save for future facilities that will facilitate ministry that we've been called to do, as we make the most of the facilities that God has already entrusted to us, we dare not forget that religion, that God our Father finds pure and faultless as this, to care for the widows and the orphans. Can I get an amen? Amen. And as a church, together, we are as committed as we've ever been, and we want to be all in on this. In just a few hours, we're going to be voting on a budget. And the biggest in, one of the biggest increases I think we made in the entire thing was a commitment to go all in on world relief and on world missions. We created new line items and put a bunch of money that way. In addition to things you've already been doing. And in doing that, we also are creating a section where we want to take this money, we want to invest and get everybody as engaged as we can personally, to get personally engaged. Next week, we're starting, as Brandon was saying, we're starting a Christian season called Lent. And it's a season where we press deeper. We press deeper into prayer. We reflect more deeply on the scriptures. It's a season of of giving more generously. And it's a season of fasting. And can I be really bold now myself? So far, the scriptures have been doing all the boldness for me. Can I be really bold here? What if, instead of fasting from chocolate, we really focused on feeding the hungry? What if? Is there anything wrong with fasting from chocolate? No. But if it's an either-or proposition, go with feeding the hungry. Amen? Amen. And so we want to encourage you to do that. And next week, Brandon mentioned this, here's an opportunity. Now, we're not going to try to say, if you don't sponsor a child at Emmanuel Children's Home, you're out of God's will. No, we're just giving you another opportunity. So I want to encourage you to come and hear more about that. We're going to focus on that all through Lent. Encourage, you can learn more about that after the service, after the second service. Go meet with Adam and and, uh, Becky and and learn more about that because there's an opportunity where you can get personally engaged, personally engaged and, and actually walk this out. And in addition to walking that out, it's my hope that we walk all these out. As the worship band comes up to seal this with a song, here's a quick review. These principles, we can't do them as a church if we're not doing them as individuals, right? Why? Because we are the church, right? So we can say, why isn't the church doing it? Because we, we're not an organization. We're, it's us, right? So our next step principles apply to us. Are we being watchful and wise? Are we being faithful and fruitful? Are we being compassionate and committed? And another great opportunity that we're going to give you guys is to come back on Wednesday because we're going to create space. I mean, I hope you do this this afternoon, but to come back and wrestle with this question right here, the last one on your talk points, what are your next step specifics? We're going to be working really hard as a church to say, what are ours together? But what are your personally? What are your next next step specifics when it comes to these areas? As we pray about the future, let's be sure to be watchful and faithful and compassionate in the now. So let's pray to that end, and then we'll seal this with a song.
Father, first and foremost, it is my prayer right now that you will directly open up a channel with every individual heart and mind. And Lord, it is my prayer right now that there would be people who would be born again in this moment. That something within them would say, I yield my life to you right now, God. Instead of going my own way, I'm going to look to you and I'm going to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying for them. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me your ways. Give me a new mind and a new heart that is not omitting these things, but sees these things. And then give me that spirit of wisdom and truth so that I can know what my next step is. We can't do everything in the world, so Lord, show us individually what is our next step. Lord, give us those new hearts, those new minds. Change us. Father, may our bodies, may our individual bodies become your temples of the Holy Spirit. And then collectively as a body, will you give us wisdom about how we house this thing and where we house this thing? Because we're not wise enough to figure that out well on our own. Lead us as you have every step of the way. God, we want to say thank you for leading us to Chippewa. Thank you for leading us here. Thank you for leading us to Gospel Hill Camp. Thank you for opening up our awesome office. All these spaces, God, our homes, everything is yours. Help us to continue to follow your lead as a people. We would be honored to steward any space you send our way. That one day we may hear, well done, Emmanuel Covenant Church. In Jesus' name, amen.